Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. On Opinionated Science, we lift up the rock of scientific research and see what weird multi-legged beasties scurry out from under it. I'm Rory McKenzie, a senior science writer at Technology Networks, and on today's podcast, joining me to peer at these weird creatures is my colleague Kate Robinson. How are you, Kate? I am great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm also very happy that my metaphor of little beasties kind of maintains for my study, which is going to be looking at uh, a centimetre long bacterium that has been unearthed in the mangrove swamps of the Caribbean. And Kate, I believe you're talking to us about the effects of intermittent fasting on nerve repair in mice, which is really cool as well. Yeah. So I will kick us off. And as I said, I'm talking about weird and wonderful little beasties. And whilst uh, you don't actually need a magnifying glass to view this particular beastie, it is one that you really should need a magnifying glass for because it's a bacterium. Now, your average bacterium, pretty much invisible to the naked eye. You know, this is a, a totally separate kingdom of life from eukaryota, which includes you know, virtually everything else we can think of as visible in size. So your African elephant, your blue whale, your yeast, your humans, these are all eukaryotes. But a research team working out of the Caribbean came across a very surprising study that's kind of realigned how we think about size and presentation of these two kingdoms of life. So the absolute unit of the bacteria I'm discussing is called Thiomargarita magnifica, which I think actually sounds like a kind of impressive cocktail. And as I said, it's roughly a centimetre long, which is the equivalent of coming across a person in the street who's the size of Mount Everest. As I mentioned, it's been found in a swamp in the Caribbean, specifically in a mangrove swamp, which are environments characterised by uh, trees that grow out of the waterline directly, and there's sort of low tides that surround these, these mangrove trees when they're surrounded by high quantities of organic matter which accumulates in or on the, the sediment that accumulates around these trees. So uh, the upshot of this is that the entire place stinks like rotten eggs, and that's because of the production of sulfide, which is a compound that, that smells like rotten eggs, that uh, is produced by microorganisms, such as the one we'll be discussing today, that live in and around these, these mangrove trees. Now, Olivier Gross, who is a researcher at the University of the French Antilles, spent roughly 20 years digging around for microbes in the shallow waters of these mangroves. Now, Gross coming across um, a thin white filament attached to one of these mangrove trees naturally thought it was a eukaryote. As I've mentioned, eukaryotes are pretty much all the organisms we can think of that would be visible in that size. So kind of understandably, Gross found this filament, chucked it in a jar and uh, didn't think about it for the next few years. But over time, uh, he and his research team dug it up and decided to have a closer look. And a genetic analysis of the organism revealed without doubt that it was in fact a bacterium. Now, uh, look, there's a lot of weird things about this bacterium and size is just one of them. So uh, the study which I'm discussing today is essentially result of years of analysis post Gross's finding in the Caribbean. So uh, the analysis identified, for example, that the cell's inner structure was filled with small organelles. So these are like micro pockets within the cell structure surrounded by a membrane that contain DNA and ribosomes, which are the structures required by the cell to help process DNA. Now, um, one of the researchers speaking about this, so they said that they named these structures pepons, 
which in French means the small seeds within fruits. Now, this is quite weird as well, because up until now, the kind of packing of a cell's DNA inside a membrane was also thought to be a pretty eukaryotic-only process, and bacteria tend to have their DNA kind of free-floating within the cell. So already this cell is kind of breaking a few rules of what we consider to be uh, the bacteria eukaryotic divide. Finally, uh, one of the other weird things they noted was that the amount of DNA within these pepons was far greater than was expected. So uh, before I get into that, I'll talk a bit about DNA within cells. So within human cells, we have two copies of our genome. This is called being diploid. Now we have one copy of our genome from our mom and one copy of genome from our dad. But it's not uncommon for other organisms to have more than two sets of genetic material. Some hybrids of wheat, for example, are pentaploid having five copies and some strawberries are even decaploid having 10 copies. Recently, bacteria with more than 10 copies of their genome have been discovered. Thiomargarita magnifica, however, has half a million copies. There's six trillion bases of DNA contained within Thiomargarita magnifica, which is several magnitudes bigger than the amount of DNA that human cells have in them. So there's quite a lot to unpack here, and the kind of impression I got from the press conference with the, the researchers discussing this bacterium is that a lot of the questions remain unanswered. For example, they can only speculate as to why this bacterium has so many copies of its genome and why it's so large. Now, in nature, more generally, let's get back to sort of, you know, regular sized animals, being bigger essentially is done for one main reason, it's so that your predators can't eat you. If you're massive, they won't be able to get, your, get their jaws around you. So being big can be advantageous in that sense. So they speculated that there might be a similar thing going on at a bacterial level here. Maybe there's some predator in the mangrove space that finds it harder to eat Thio Margarita Magnifica when it's so big. Um, but they also mentioned that maybe having a wide surface area might benefit uh, the sulfide-producing metabolism that I mentioned earlier, where whereby the bacterium forms a kind of interface between the uh, water of the mango swamp and the air above it, and that's essentially how it processes energy. Perhaps having a bigger surface area makes that process easier. But one key conclusion from their study was that whilst Thiomargarita magnifica might be really weird, it doesn't represent some kind of missing link between bacteria and eukaryota in a uh, genetic sense. Now, whilst they shares a lot of eukaryotic features, uh, the genetic analysis showed that it did sit quite neatly within the bacterial tree of life and it wasn't some you know, missing link between the two. Instead, you know, these weird features of it, the, the DNA, the you know, um, pepons within the, the cell and the size of the bacterium suggest more that our knowledge of bacterium, and we've only got very limited knowledge of bacterium essentially from bacteria that we're able to culture in a lab and analyze, suggests that perhaps there's many more bacteria out there which might live in these extreme environments like the roots of mangrove trees. So I, I found this conclusion like really fascinating because it suggests that you know the whilst we know there's so many bacteria out there, it suggests that the ones that are yet to be found might be some of the weirdest and coolest ones yet to be discovered. Uh, what do you think, Kate? Oh definitely, I mean I can this might be an odd question. Mm -hmm. But I'm quite intrigued to know like the texture so, what, right, so uh, he did kind of mention the, 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 the appearance of this thing. So it looks like, a and, there, and there's um, pictures in the article I wrote about this, which you can see uh, through the link in this podcast. So essentially it looks like a, 
a long string of beads uh, or filament with lumpy lumpy beads in it which um, when you look at it you might immediately think you know is this just one cell but they are actually connected and have just one internal compartment it's the kind of thing that if i wasn't say a bacterial researcher i might see and just think oh that's just some junk that's uh, <laughs> some some swamp junk but in fact that swamp junk very biologically important so there you go well i mean i, I would want to know maybe if anyone's about eating it you know i think it's like a, a type of mushroom or something well, I think that's the next step for, you know, first off, what is it? Second off, what does it taste like? I think that's the next study that we need to go on with. All the important questions. Now, moving out from under our uh, bacterial uh, swamp, Kate, I believe that you've got a really interesting study about something, I guess, more human in proportion, the, the benefits of intermittent fasting. Yeah, taking it back to food, apparently. I'm obsessed. Um... Yeah, so I, th- I mean, personally, I think I've noticed that a lot of people are currently fasting to lose weight. I am definitely not and will never be one of those people because I <laughs> get way too hungry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the study that I was, wanted to talk about today suggested that intermittent fasting could actually increase the ability of mice to recover from brain damage. Um, so why do we need to increase the rate of recovery? Um, The mammalian peripheral nervous system actually does have the ability already to regenerate after an injury, but this can be held back by the rate of axon regeneration, which is quite slow. Um, Axons being the structures located at the end of nerves, uh, which send out electrochemical signals to other cells in the body. So brain injuries frequently do result in partial or total loss of sensory, motor and autonomic functions due to the slow regeneration after injuries such as that. Um, So how do we increase the axon regeneration rate? The rate can be influenced by a few different things and quite recently some studies did come out um, and discuss how exercise and environmental enrichment can have uh, an effect on the regeneration rate. Um, And the pathways that are affected by exercise and such can also be activated by intermittent fasting. And quite recently, that has been linked to wound repair um, and new neuron growth. Um, But this study that I'm talking about today is the first to explain how that might actually work. So according to researchers from Imperial College London, the study was conducted in an effort to see whether changes in lifestyle could actually aid recovery from brain damage. Because there's a lack of treatments available for individuals with nerve damage, aside from surgical reconstruction, which isn't necessarily effective in a large proportion of patients. The researchers in the study used mice with a a damaged sciatic nerve, um, that being the largest nerve in the body running from the base of the the spine to the back of the thigh, and half of the mice underwent intermittent fasting so that they could eat whatever they want and then not have anything on alternating days. And then the other half were free to eat without any restrictions. And what the researchers saw was that in the mice that were fasting, the length of the regrown axons were actually 50% greater in the mice um, than in the mice without any restrictions. Um, And they also found that there was an increased production of, watch my pronunciation of this, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> an increased production of 3-indole-propionic acid, or nice. IPA, as I will re uh, refer to it from now, uh, was increased. So IPA is, like I said, a metabolite produced by a bacteria that is found in both humans and mice, so bringing it back to your study there. Um, the bacteria is called Clostridium sporogenesis. And so in the fasting mice, they found this IPA metabolite was increased that was produced by this bacteria. Um, but from that, you can't just infer that this obviously must be the cause of the increased nerve regeneration. So in order to determine if it was actually IPA, they treated the mice with antibiotics. Therefore, obviously, they, the guts were cleaned of bacteria. And then half of the mice were given genetically modified strains of the bacteria that could produce IPA and the other half were given strains of the bacteria that couldn't produce IPA. So in the mice without any IPA being produced, the axon regeneration was impaired. But when IPA was administered orally to the same mice, regeneration and increased recovery was observed about two or three weeks after the injury. So the results of this study do suggest that IPA could have an ability to heal and regenerate damaged nerves um, but the researchers do have plans to continue um, partly because IPA does remain in the blood if administered orally for four to six hours um, so they don't currently know if administering it more frequently or perhaps including it in a diet could increase the efficacy um, of like nerve regeneration um, and it's also not yet known if IPA is increased with human fasting, but I think it could be a really interesting uh, avenue of, of research in terms of nerve regeneration after brain injury for humans, if that is possible. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think there is it's such a hot era of research right now, like the link between yeah, the brain and, and the gut. Um, and I liked how you know this study kind of you know, made clear that the gut bio back biome of mice can be different from the gut biome of humans. So there's still more research to be done. But yeah, it, no doubt the reason it's so hot is because there's so much potential from, you know, something as simple as a dietary change having effects on the brain. And I think, yeah, we need to, you know, back these research results up and, and show that they can be physiologically relevant to humans. But it's super exciting, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, who knows that, 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 you know, any, aside from intermittent fasting or fasting generally, who knows if, say, a different diet change of eating more of a certain thing or less of a certain thing could then change, you know, levels of a different bacteria, which could have different effects. Like, there's so many species in there going on and so. Well, honestly, Kate, if you ask me, we need to start eating swamp bacteria, clearly. <laughs> to see what happens then that's what it's all leading back to <laughs> you know people get your knives and forks out and head to the french antilles get in the swamp start eating that bacteria and report back to us you know how are your nerves feeling like. you know uh, <laughs> so there you go we found a way to bring it together in the end after all um Kate, thank you very much for joining me for this episode of Opinionated Science. That is all the time we have today. But uh, thanks again to all our listeners for tuning in. And to our next podcast, please do like, share, and subscribe to Opinionated Science. And please do comment on our podcast and let us know what you think. Don't keep your opinions to yourself. 
Bye for now.